Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that we can spend meditating and trying to understand your word, which was written so many centuries ago. Lord, we pray that it may still be applicable to our lives. May we be able to really understand that you have spoken to all generations of men. And Lord, we pray that through looking at your word together this morning, we may become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, have you ever had the experience of your day going along quite smoothly? You're enjoying yourself, having maybe even a bit of fun with your day. And then something happens. Tragedy comes to your day. And you wish that you could turn back the clock and change something so that that moment that brought tragedy into your day uh, could be taken back and prevented. I remember that happening a few times as a child, you know, with the concept of can you turn back time and thinking about when something really bad had happened that wouldn't it be great if I could just go back in time and change that. One of those times was when I was playing with a ball in the, uh, the church grounds uh, they had a nice, uh, where I was growing up, my father was a minister, and so I got to play on the church grounds. It was right next door. And they had a nice area where I could kick a ball around. And one day I was kicking, seeing how high I could kick, and it went up and straight through the church hall window. Smash, glass everywhere inside, and of course me feeling extremely guilty straight away and uh, fearful of not just what uh, my parents would say but what people at church would say about me because of course they would all know because this window pane was broken and they'd ask, who broke that? And I remember I would have been uh, probably eight, nine, thinking, oh, could I just go back in time and I wouldn't even come out and play with the ball. I would stay inside the house and do something. Uh, and maybe that's why I don't do any exercise today. Maybe it's an early precursor to, to avoiding such tragedy is to avoid all kinds of physical activity. Have you experienced that? Where your day is going well and then tragedy strikes. And that's what we're looking at this morning. We're going to take a break from our usual series and uh, look at the chapter of Genesis chapter 3. Look at this section of Genesis chapter 3 uh, and look at how tragedy came to our first parents, to Adam and Eve, the first humans created. Because in Genesis chapter 2 and, of course, Genesis chapter 1, we see the first humans created. We see Adam and Eve created and we see that their life is pretty good for them. They're in this lovely garden uh, where they can eat lots and the ground responds to their labours and they also have no shame about them as well. Back in uh, chapter 2, verse 25, if you've got a black church Bible there, I encourage you to have it open to page 3. Page 3, and you see in verse 25 of chapter 2, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. We see that there in that garden, there is no shame. But then something happens. Tragedy strikes this couple as they're there in paradise in the Garden of Eden. And that brings me to my first main point this morning. If you've got a church bulletin there, you can see my main points on it, on the back. And you can see, firstly, my main point this morning is sin enters the life of Adam and Eve. Tragedy comes, and it is sin that comes to their lives. And how does that happen? How does sin come about? Well, Satan appears and tempts Adam and Eve. And we see that in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, everything is going well, and then Satan shows up. And he is crafty, craftier than any of the other wild animals. And he starts to tempt Adam and Eve to sin. He comes to them and speaks to them and tempts them to sin against God. And it's interesting how he does it. He does, there's three ways that he brings these uh, first parents of ours, Adam and Eve, to sin. Firstly, he gets Eve to question God's command. And we see that in verse 1. He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He starts by just getting them to question God's command. Did God really say it or did I mishear it? What did God actually say? Rather than simply accepting what God has said and, and knowing that it is true. And then he goes on to lie to Adam and Eve about the outcome that their sin would bring about. Verse 4, after Eve answers, he says, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. You will not surely die. And so he comes to Adam and Eve and says, Yes, God has given a command. Okay, yes, you know the command. But God, he says, actually told an untruth. God lied to you. And you won't die from sinning. And then thirdly, he encourages Eve to be like God. We see that in verse 5. He says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What greater thing would you want to be than to be God himself? And so he says to Eve these three things. He says, Did God really say? He gets her to question God's command. And then he says, Okay, but... You won't actually die. And then thirdly, he says, you won't die, but you'll actually get something really good. You'll get to be like God. And so Satan comes to Adam and Eve and tempts them in this way. And sadly, as Adam and Eve are there in this garden in a state of bliss, they end up sinning. And we see that in verse 6. Verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She sinned against her God. And then not only her, it says in verse 6 as well, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Both of them hear what Satan says. He is there, Adam is there with Eve in the garden. They listen to Satan and they end up sinning and breaking God's command. So the question is, okay, tragedy strikes, but how tragic is it? I mean, they've sinned, but what then happens? We know that all actions have consequences. What are the consequences of Adam and Eve's action here? And that brings me to my second main point this morning. Sin results in broken relationships for Adam and Eve. Sin results in broken relationships for Adam and Eve. And we see that in this passage as it continues the story about Adam and Eve and the first sin. We see uh, broken relationships in three ways. Firstly, there's broken relationships in their relationship with one another, with other humans. Sin brings broken relationships with other humans. Firstly, we see that by the way that they cover themselves so that they can't each other can't see each other clearly anymore. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened as a result of their sin, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. There's a barrier, physical barrier, immediately erected between humans, between one another. And then also we see that they start to create hostility between each other 
by starting a blame game. God comes and asks Adam what he has done. And then what do we see happen in verse 12? What does the man say? He says, he doesn't say, I have eaten from it. And yes, I am sinful. What does he say? He says, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Is that a nice thing to be saying? Instead of accepting the sin that you've committed yourself, you actually start to blame other people around you. And we see Adam doing that. What does that mean? A relationship is starting to be broken between him and his wife. He's starting to blame her for things that he has done. His relationship with Eve is not what it was. And then we actually see that God says that part of the curse for eating that forbidden fruit is that their relationship with one another will be a struggle. He says that in verse 16. He says to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That last sentence is key. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. See, God's created order is God, man, woman, and then creatures, animals. But what will happen is the woman will desire to be over her husband and he will desire to be over her. There will be this fight in a marriage where the woman does not submit to the husband as she should and where the husband is domineering over the woman as well, always pushing her down and being rude towards her and being like a dictator in the home. This tension is brought into their marriage where she is no longer uh, willingly submissive to him. Instead, she is trying to... Her, her desire is for his place to be with, uh, over her husband and he is desiring to rule over her, to dominate her life. And so we see, firstly... What sin brings about for Adam and Eve, it is a broken relationship. And then we see that even when the, the relationship is severely broken, when what God had promised would happen, happens as well, and that is death. We see that death now comes into the world where Adam and Eve are prevented from eating from the tree of life over in verse 22. Turn the page and we see... And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. What happens now between man and woman? One of them dies. Not they won't die necessarily at the same time. It's very uh, rare that that will happen. One of them will die and that relationship with one another will be broken, whereas before they would have lived forever. And we see that starts to happen. It's not that God says, Oh, they might die. No, it actually starts to happen. In chapter 4, what happens? The first murder takes place. Cain murders Abel. And then over in chapter 5, we see again and again at the end of every paragraph there, what happens? People die. We see in verse 5 of chapter 5, just look at uh, page 5 of those Black Church Bibles. It says, verse 5, Altogether, Adam lived 930 years and then he died. Look at the next paragraph, the last verse. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years and then he died. Next paragraph. Uh, Enosh, verse 11, altogether Enosh lived 905 years and then he died. And then Kenan, verse 14, although Kenan lived 910 years, I mean they're living a long time, we've got to admit this, but, and then he died. And it just goes on and on. People are dying, relationships are being broken because of sin. So that's the first relationship that is broken with one another, with other people. The second relationship that is broken is with creation with creation itself. 
we see now that there is pain and toil introduced into the lives of Adam and Eve. And we see that in like verse 16, where the woman's work of bearing children is increased, there's an increase in pain there. Verse 16, God says, it says to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. That particular job that is only given to women, men cannot produce children, it's now a painful job for them to do, to bring a child into the world. And any woman who has had children can testify to this fact that that curse that is given by God is indeed true for sinning, that there is pain with childbirth. And we also see that the man doesn't get off either. His job of working the garden, what happens there? Verse 17, we read, And to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Previously, Adam working the garden would have been easy work, but now he sweats. It's hard work. There's thorns and thistles growing up. There's weeds. If you've ever tried to do any gardening, you know how easily weeds spring up. It's hard work. Man's relationship with creation is broken. And then we see that even the, the best of creation, that Garden of Eden, their relationship with that is broken as well. How is that broken? Well, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. We see that in verse 22. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take it also from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, that's a tough angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The relationship with the Garden of Eden is completely broken. They're kicked out of it. Altogether, they're banished. And so we see that the relationship with creation is being slowly eroded. And then one day, their relationship with creation will be completely broken when That thing that Satan said would not happen, happens. What is that? Death. When we die, what happens? We leave this creation. We are no longer here. Our relationship with it is completely severed. And that happens because of our sin. Two relationships we've seen are broken. With other people, with creation. Third relationship that is broken, the most important relationship that is broken, is that with God. Previously, Adam and Eve had a good relationship with God. We see that by what God did after they sinned. What happened in verse 8? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What was God doing with Adam and Eve before they sinned, and even does now? He was actually appearing in the garden. Now, don't ask me to try and work out exactly what that means. Some people think that's an early reference to Jesus uh, appearing in some sort of bodily human form. I'm more inclined to think that it was some sort of way that God physically displayed his glory there. He came and his presence was in a visible form in some way there in the garden. 
but I don't quite know. But what we do know is their relationship with God was very, very good. God doesn't come and walk around in my house in the way that he was doing in the garden there, and he stops doing that. They had God there visibly appearing to them. They had God speaking to them kindly, telling them his rules so that they would know the way to live. And what happens now? Well, now we see their relationship with God is broken. How do we see that? Well, what's their response? God comes in the way he had previously, and what, does, what do they do? They hide. We see in verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And verse 10, he, said, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. Man hides now from God. Man is afraid of God. Is that a good relationship, to be afraid of someone when they come, you run and hide? That's not a healthy relationship. And we see that Adam and Eve now have that relationship broken then as well. And ultimately that relationship with God and his good creation and his blessings in this world is broken when man dies. We saw before that man dies now. And now that will happen one day. We will leave this world and we'll be separated from God. The rest of the Bible tells us that when we die, we go, if we are sinful people, we go to an eternal place of punishment where we are separated from God. And so that good relationship that Adam and Eve had is now severed as well. So this is a sad story. Is there any good in this history lesson you're maybe asking? Or is Genesis chapter 3 like a depressing TV show that has no hope in it? I remember when I was younger and it was a popular show on TV, uh, Party of Five. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But I watched it for a little while, but then I had to give up because it was just so depressing. Nothing good ever seemed to happen to this poor family of five children that had lost their parents. And I actually uh, went online this week to see if anybody agreed with me about my assessment of it so long ago. And I got this quote from a, a reviewer of the show back in the 90s. He said, The key to the success of Party of Five is unceasing procession of disease, addictive dependencies, and restaurant management headaches, shrewdly combined with the huggable cuteness of its sniffling, suffering stars. The writing has achieved an artfully stylized agony. Each episode brings each main character to a higher level of unhappiness. Each week it just seemed like nothing could get worse and they just seemed to go, yep, we can get even more unhappy. Something more disastrous can happen. Now, is that what is happening here in this book that we know as the Bible? We've had two great chapters of Genesis where God creates everything, everything is good, and now tragedy strikes. Is that it? Is the rest of the Bible, and from now on, is it just going to be one increasing level of unhappiness after another, and there is no hope, there is no joy promised here? Because, let's face it, life is depressing enough. Without watching episodes of Party of Five, I had to give up. And is life, life is so depressing... Why would we read the Bible if this is what it just keeps on teaching us, that relationships are broken, bad things happen? 
Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning, sin and a promise fulfilled. Sin and a promise fulfilled. See, there is a glimmer of hope, a couple of glimmers of hope in this passage in Genesis chapter 3 that give you hope that things are not going to be as bad as they are here forever. Where is that? Well, firstly, we see God being very gracious to Adam and Eve. And we see that in, chapter, in verse 21. Flip over the page, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and, and his wife and clothed them. We see God giving them some clothes there. He didn't need to do that. And he would have had to destroy some of his creation to do that. Some of uh, his, his animals died so that they could have these skins to clothe them. Previously they had fig leaves. Now they've got these animals. And that points to a sacrifice made to cover our sin which we will find out more about in a few moments, but of course comes up again and again in the Bible. Sacrifices are made, animals die, so that sin is covered. And then there's another glimmer of hope, a really great glimmer of hope. And this is uh, in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. This is a very important verse in the Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 where a promise is made in the midst of curses that are given to Satan, a promise is made. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God is saying, I'm going to make an enemy from one of the children, one of the sons of Eve, toward you, and you will fight. And it will, it will be a bad fight. I mean, you've got to face it. The guy's going to get his heel struck. He's going to get hurt severely. But Satan's head, what will happen to that? It also will be struck. It will be crushed. Now, what's better, to get hit in the head or to get hit in the heel? It's better to get hit in the heel. So this is not looking good for Satan at all. That one day he'll get struck in the head. He will strike the heel of the son of Eve, but he will get struck in the head. There's this early promise here, glimmer of hope. Now, does that come to fulfillment, or is God making promises that he never keeps? Well, yes, his word is fulfilled. Many centuries later, this promise is fulfilled. Jesus Christ comes and fulfills this promise made so many years ago in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus is a son of Eve. He is a direct descendant from Adam and Eve. And we see that in Luke's gospel. If you have some time this afternoon, go to Luke's gospel and look at, in the early chapter there, it has the list of descendants of Jesus and it goes right back to Adam. Jesus is indeed a son, an offspring of Eve, and he did fight with Satan. When he was at the cross, he was being struck by Satan. But, although it was a painful death for Jesus, he did conquer Satan at the cross. And we read that he did in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says there, 
Since the children have flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus, too shared in their humanity. He was fully human, the author of Hebrews is saying, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. The author of Hebrews knows quite clearly that Jesus was destroying Satan at the cross because he was paying with his perfect life for the sins of people so that they could go free and he would become the one who rules over all things at the right hand of the majesty in heaven and one day cast Satan into eternal flames. And we read about that in Revelation. We read a bit from Revelation before. And we see then that Jesus has destroyed Satan and his work. 1 John 3, 8 speaks of that. It says, The reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus Christ fulfills Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Yes, Jesus suffered, but it was just a bruising of his heel. He came back to life and he lives now, whereas Satan's work is, has been destroyed and is gradually, the war is won. Battles are being fought, but the war is won. Satan is destroyed. So there is promise here. This is an encouraging chapter to read because of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Sin has entered the world. It's destroyed relationships. But Jesus ends up crushing Satan's head. So the question then is, how is this chapter of Genesis helpful for you? This is all very well for Adam and Eve, but what about us? Well, we've got to understand that we follow in the footsteps of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Sin has entered your life. Sin has entered your life. Satan has tempted all of you, and he's done it in the same way that he did it back in Genesis chapter 3. We go through the same experience with Satan. He gets you to question God's commands firstly. Remember he did that with with, uh, Eve? He said, did God really say? And he does that to you all the time. He says, did God really say? that you shouldn't do that? He does that with clear commands like, is lying really wrong? What about white lies? Is murder really wrong? What about when you know your wife's really nasty to you? Is it really wrong to murder her then? What about adultery? And then even with less clear commands, Satan can say, oh, you live in a modern age in which the Bible doesn't really have the answers to everything. What about living together? Does Satan really, uh, does God really command that you can't do that? What about, I mean, maybe God says homosexual relationships are wrong if they're uncommitted ones. If, if you've got two people who are committed to one another and want to get married, that can't be wrong. God's a God of love after all. And an Anglican bishop just this week over in England said that, is that the Texts in the Bible that speak about homosexuality don't speak about committed homosexual relationships. And that's, he's listened to Satan. Satan has said, did God really say that committed homosexual relationships are wrong? What about, does God really condemn pornography? I mean, they didn't have pornography back then. Surely it's outside of God's jurisdiction. Or what about gambling? Is gambling mentioned in the Bible that it's wrong explicitly? Can I go to the club and play Keno or put into pokey machines? I mean, they didn't have pokey machines back then. They're sort of out of God's jurisdiction. It can't be wrong. What about abortion? What about tax evasion? What about euthanasia? That's not mentioned in the Bible. I did a, a search in the Bible and there's no mention of euthanasia at all. The word doesn't come up at any point. Does God really say that it's wrong? What about embryonic stem cell research? It's it's just not there. Is it really wrong? 
Satan does that. He lies to you. He gets you to question God's command, and then he actually lies to you. He gets you to question God's command, then he lies about the outcome of your sin. He tells you again and again that happiness is to be found in sin, and to not sin means unhappiness. That's what he's saying to Eve. He's saying you'll be happy if you eat. And he says that to me all the time. I don't know if you've recognised he says it to you. If you sin, you will be happy. You'll be happy. And then he doesn't just say he lie about the outcome of your sin. He also encourages you to be like God. He, every time you sin, he's saying, why don't you run your own life? Don't let God tell you what to do. Run your own life. After all, you have rights, you know. God gave you free will and he can't take away free will from you. You have a right to decide how you run your life. He's doing what he did to Eve. And the sad thing is we are like Eve and we sin as well. We fall for his tricks and we fall into that sin again and again. And then not only do we have sin enter our life, but we also see the results of sin in our lives as well. And that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. Sin results in broken relationships for you. The world around you loudly proclaims that your relationship that sin has broken relationships throughout this world. And even in your own life, you can see the results of sin and the broken relationships around you. Firstly, the broken relationships you have with each other. We all fight with one another. We get jealous of each other. We hate one another. We dislike each other. We cause problems for each other. We try and take things from others. That's a broken relationship that you have with one another. We also have broken relationship with creation. We fight with creation. We try and work it, but it... It fights against us. Like it was said to Adam, it would be by the sweat of his brow. And anyone who's done any work in his life knows about sweating, particularly if it's physical work, but even mental anguish as you're trying to work. That's a fight that's going on with you and creation. And then we know about our broken relationship with God. We can't hear God speak to us like he spoke to Adam. We can't see God like he appeared to Adam. And one day we will die and be separated from God for eternity. The Bible promises that that is true because of our sinfulness. So we see that our lives are like Adam and Eve's. Sin has entered it and the results of sin are clearly all around us. So then the question is, is there any hope in the sadness of our lives? Or are we like one big episode of Party of Five as well? This TV show that's just so depressing. One week after another, it just gets to another level of unhappiness. Well, the, the wonderful thing is the Bible tells us that there is hope for us. And that brings me to my sixth main point this morning. Sin and the promise fulfilled for you. Sin and the promise fulfilled for you. Because Satan crushes, uh, Jesus crushes Satan for you. This promise in Genesis chapter 3.15 is a promise that you can take hold of for your life. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, I read out previously, but it has a next part that I didn't read out. It says there in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Okay, we read that before. Jesus has destroyed the devil by his death. Then what did it say next? And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He sets people free by his death. And that includes you. You 
can crush Satan in Christ. And Paul speaks in Romans chapter 16 of us doing that very thing. He says in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You can crush Satan under your very feet because you unite with Christ and crush Satan. How do you do that? How do you crush Satan with Jesus? Well, you have to unite yourself with Christ. And how do you do that? Well, it's by admitting that you are a sinner, that you have fallen for Satan's temptations. You have sinned against him and your life is a mess. And you turn from that sin. You say sorry to God for what you have done. We call that repentance, turning from your sin, admitting you are sorry. And then you trust that Jesus Christ at the cross died for you. If you turn from your sin, trust that Jesus has crushed Satan for you, that you don't personally crush Satan by your own good works and actions, that, Satan, uh, that Jesus has crushed Satan, then you are part of Christ's body and you crush Satan with him. And you actually see evidence that you have crushed Satan in your life. How do you see that evidence? Well, you see the relationships that are broken starting to be restored. Remember what relationships were broken when you sinned? Relationships with one another, with other people. When you become a Christian, it's an amazing thing starts to happen. You start to love other people. Before you started, you were taking advantage of them. Now you start to love them. You start to forgive them because you know how much God has forgiven you, so you start to forgive others when they sin against you. And so your relationships with others is improved. And then one day you will go to a place where your relationship with others is completely restored. We'll all be unified in heaven. All Christians will be there, unified, worshipping God together. Without any hostility between one another, without any envy, jealousy, selfish ambition towards one another. No, we'll all be there united together in perfect relationship with one another. We also see our relationship with creation is improved you'll actually start to care for the environment that is hostile towards you. I don't know if many of you know, but the uh, Royal Society for Prevention for Cruelty to Animals, RSPCA, who started the RSPCA? Do you know? It was Christians. A small group of Christians wanted to prevent cruelty to animals. That's a sign that their relationship with creation is gradually being restored. And it happens in our lives as well. You'll actually start to care for God's creation as a good creation. Stop trying to take advantage of creation and be hostile toward it. And then one day you'll go to new heavens and new earth where your relationship with creation will be wonderful. It'll be perfect. Where there will no longer be sweat. We'll be working in heaven, but there won't be this hard labour that we have as creation fights with us. And then thirdly, our relationship with God is improved. If you become a Christian, if you crush Satan with Jesus Christ by repentance and faith, you'll start to have a better relationship with God. You'll start to read your Bible, listen to what he has to say. You want to hear God's voice. You'll start to pray. You'll speak to your Heavenly Father, where before you didn't. Or if you did, you sort of didn't really know what to say. Now you know what to say. You, you know how to praise God for what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. And you start to have a good relationship with him by fellowshipping with other believers who have the Holy Spirit in them. And you want to listen to what they have to say. You want to listen to a pastor when he preaches. You want to listen to what other Christians at church say because you hear God's voice speaking through them. Your relationship with God is improved. 
And you should see that. If you want to know, have you crushed Satan under your feet? Has your relationship with people improved? Has your relationship with creation improved? Has your relationship with God improved? If that has happened, then you can see the results of sin being unraveled because of what God has done in your heart through Jesus' death at the cross. So have you recognised that you have been tempted by Satan and sinned? Have you seen yourself in this passage of Genesis chapter 3 where Eve is tempted and sinned? Have you recognised the results of your sin? Or do you think that your sin hasn't actually done much damage at all to the relationships that you have with people, creation and God? Have you looked to the promise of God to conquer the enemy of sin and the enemy that is Satan in your life? You can't take Satan on. He's older and wiser than you and more powerful. Don't take him on by yourself. You need to take him on through Jesus Christ. Have you done that? And have you done that by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ's death for you? And if you say, yes, 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 I've recognised the sin, I've recognised that I've broken relationships, I've trusted in Satan, I've trusted in Jesus, trusted that Jesus has destroyed Satan, have you then started to see relationships restored? in your life? Do you look for evidence that Satan is being crushed by you day by day as you conquer the sin in your life and restore relationships with people, with creation and with God? Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this passage from your word. We thank you for that marvellous promise that is there in the midst of such tragedy that Jesus would come and crush Satan. And we thank you that we live on the other side of Jesus' life and we have seen it happen in the pages of your word. And then we've seen it happen in our own lives. Lord, we thank you that we can crush Satan with our heels. Yes, it hurts to crush him, but Lord, we thank you that you have done this through Jesus Christ. And we pray that we may continue to do so by repenting of our sins, believing in Jesus, and seeing relationships with other people restored, seeing relationships with creation restored, and seeing relationships with you, our relationship with you restored. Lord, may there be great evidence that the people gathered here this morning have indeed crushed Satan. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.